<laughs> Hello, you're listening to the Important Cinema Club Spooktacular Edition. Oh. Ding dong, trick or treat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I do that. Cre- Am I traveling back through time? You're like. <laughs> I do that creaking door sound effect every week, and each time I do it, I'm like, wait, that doesn't sound like a creaking door. <laughs> Listen, practice makes perfect. What is it like? A hundred thousand hours or something? They have to. Yeah, do? <laughs> that's right. My name is Justin Clue. I'm Will Sloan, and you're listening to the Important Cinema Club, where we talk about movies. And this week. We're going to be talking about Halloween, the film series. Are we going to be talking about John Carpenter's original? No, nah, not very much. No. But we're going to be talking about all the other ones. Uh, I've, I have seen all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I've seen all the Friday the 13th movies. I have not seen all the Halloween movies. And why do you think that is? Um, I think it's because the first Halloween is a great film. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest horror movies, I would even go so far as to say. What's great about it isn't the the killing. It's not the base elements, but it's the style. And I think I knew somehow that in the like in the Friday the Thirteenth sequels, you go to them to see what are the different ways Jason's going to kill somebody, and what are the different gimmicks they're going to bring in to keep the series relevant. But Halloween doesn't seem to invite that because all the sequels are going to offer is a more diluted version of that original style. Because the thing with the original Halloween is that it's so pure. Mm. Like you were talking about uh, Friday the 13th, no one goes, eh, go back to the original Friday the 13th. Exactly. Because it's iconic in what it does. It's not iconic as an object in the way that Halloween is. Not even Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Like People are not imitating Wes Craven as they're going along. Yeah. And people forget the first Friday movie, it's Jason's mom. Yeah. While Halloween... Every filmmaker who goes to make a franchise picture goes, we're going back to John Carpenter's original style. And also, the Halloween series is less consistent than the other franchises. Like, I don't want to say that the Friday the 13th movies have a quality control, but they're part of the same assembly line. Whereas the Halloween series has a number of different timelines. It has, you know, the third one doesn't have Michael Myers in it. Great movie. It has the Rob Zombie movies. So it's confusing. But I kind of like the Halloween series for that reason. Mm -hmm. While Friday the 13th can go in wildly different directions, Halloween is like a weird song played by a bunch of different cover bands Mm. so it's not that it's radically different but it's the weird way they approach it Mm. and we'll get into that as we go along but first of all we're gonna jump in right after the original finishes with halloween 2 mere minutes after the original finishes john carpenter goes out for a smoke and gets replaced by visionary director rick rosenthal who at the time had only directed a short film which had caught carpenter's eye and that's how he got the gig Mm. And uh, I'd never seen Halloween 2 before this week. And what I can say is it is very much Halloween 2. You can feel that Rosenthal wanted to just imitate John Carpenter to the point where famously his first cut of the film, Carpenter went, ugh, this is boring. And Carpenter himself went in and shot all the gore in that film. Really? Much to the chagrin of the original director. Hmm. He's like, you're breaking the suspense of the film. Because for people that know, the first Halloween, not a gory film. 
second Halloween, very gory film. Mm. Um, right from the get-go, like blood is splattering in Michael Myers' face. The film opens mere minutes after the first one left off with Laurie Strode, played once again by Jamie Lee Curtis, being carted off to the hospital while Donald Pleasance as Dr. Sam Loomis is running around the neighborhood trying to figure out, wait, what happened to Michael Myers? I thought I just shot him. Well, somebody thinks that they ram a van into Michael Myers. <laughs> Michael Myers then explodes yeah. and melts. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, the corpse is hard to identify. And all the police are like, well, he looked like Michael Myers. <laughs> it's sure. good enough. We, we... Listen, that William Shatner mask was a big seller this yeah. year. It could be anybody. But we probably killed him. But, but Donald Pleasance keeps insisting we have to make sure we killed the real Michael Myers. Meanwhile, while Jamie Lee Curtis is at the hospital, wouldn't you know it, her brother, Michael Myers, which is revealed in this film, mm-hmm. uh, wanders over there to finish the job. There's a lot of downtime while Michael Myers slowly wanders the hall and uh, Rick Rosenthal tries to recapture that John Carpenter magic. You know, the the looming cameras, the... Something that Rosenthal does that's different than Carpenter, though, is that he focuses Myers in the center of the frame. Right from the get-go, where you see Myers walk over to the other house across mm. from where he fell. Instead of putting him in the periphery, which the first one did, you actually follow behind him the steady cam, as if the director is making him the center of attention. Now, that's a choice. Whether it's a choice that works is up to the viewer to decide. But I think it's interesting. Well, the movie is shot by Dean Cundey, Mm -hmm. the great cinematographer, and it looks beautiful, I think. Uh, It looks much better than most slasher movies from the 80s look. And in in fact, I would even go so far as to say this movie is objectively better than most slasher movies. The thing about Halloween, the series, is it's impossible to capture the magic of the first one, which is the idea of someone going and killing people for no reason, Mm -hmm. has no motivation and no backstory. Mm -hmm. That's what's scary about it. Mm -hmm. He is, as Donald Pleasant says, like a force of pure evil. Mm -hmm. There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. While every film beyond that one continually tries to give him backstory for no particular reason. And this one, you know, tries to do the same tricks as the previous one, you Mm -hmm. know, like long supposedly suspenseful shots of Michael Myers looming in the hallways while, you know, the poor suckers are uh, awaiting Um, their death. uh, Hanging out in a hot tub. Yeah. Waiting to be boiled by Myers. The hospital hot tub. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? As much as Will is kind of um, poo-pooing this one, I do enjoy Halloween too, especially for its kind of like 2 a.m. hanging out in a hospital (laughs) working through your shift vibe. There's something calming, but at the same time suspenseful about the idea of a killer going through a hospital. Because in the same way that the suburbia in the first one was somewhere that you consider safe, the hospital is somewhere as well that, you know, nothing can really happen to you from an outside force because there's people there to take care of you. That's a good point. It doesn't have enough Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have enough characters that I like. Nah. Like the, pre- like the previous one did. It doesn't have enough happen in it. And it feels kind of like... It, it's not, it doesn't dishonor the memory of the first one, but it is just kind of a pale shadow of it. And 
it, it, it crumbles in my memory already next to the original. Yeah. I, it's more of the same. It is. And I think that it's starting minutes after the first one is a perfect indication that like, listen, we're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. We're giving you exactly what everybody wants because in the next movie, Season of the Witch, we're going, fuck you. And we're not even putting Michael Myers in it. If I were a good podcaster, I would have watched Season of the Witch this week. We'll save it for a Patreon episode because personally... I adore Season of the Witch. Okay. I think it's a great movie that is not only the perfect Halloween the season film, but it also does John Carpenter while doing its own thing. It has elements of Giallo. It has elements of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It has elements of like British sci-fi horror, like the Quartermass series, all put into like one fun package that just like we were talking earlier in our Patreon episode about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, took a long time for it to get its due. And at this point, like it's a well-loved movie by everybody Mm -hmm. pretty much who gets a chance to see it. So, listener, watch it, because it's great. And I'd also like to ask you about some of the ones that came in between. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Uh, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, I think it is. And and isn't there a... There's a uh, the one I've seen is The Curse of Michael Myers. So, 4, 5, 6... Starring Paul Rudd. So, 4, 5, 6 are the kind of films where the director goes, we're going back to the basics. <laughs> 4 being directed by Dwight H. Little. Uh, he's trying to do his own thing while still trying to mimic Carpenter. Uh, I think it's a really fun film. It doesn't feel slavish like uh, Halloween 2, but it also does something that I love, which is put children in jeopardy. Mm. Uh, the young actress, uh, Daniel Harris, is menaced by Michael Myers throughout. And when it came out, people liked it. Uh, maybe they were just starved for wanting to see Michael Myers. That it led directly to a sequel like a year later, I think. Mm. Because Halloween Part 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, is Daniel Harris again. Still a kid. And now she has psychic powers and she can connect with Michael Myers. <laughs> uh, it's not a very good movie. It's a fun movie. If you like the fourth one, you'll like the fifth one. And then part six is the Bananas movie where, I, they're, like Marvel Cinemas after them, they're trying to lay the groundwork. And part five actually ends with a cliffhanger where Michael Myers gets broken out of jail by a figure that we never see except for, I think he's wearing cowboy boots. Mm. And it's revealed that it's because he's part of a weird cult, the thorn cult that Michael Myers is part of. Right. And who's back in part six? Donald Pleasance looking worse for wear and wanting to get out of the franchise. Very close to death. Uh, we saw this. Were you there a few years ago? I was the for the producer's cut. Yeah. The, how did the producer's cut differ from the original? I had never seen the theatrical version before seeing the producer's cut. The difference is the theatrical cut is super violent. That's what they went in and added was crazy, like heads exploding, all done in that like late 90s, like music video jump cut editing style. While part six is more boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember seeing the a trailer for The Curse of Michael Myers on the Viewer's Choice pay-per-view network (laughs) when I was a kid. And there was a shot in it that really disturbed me of uh, our grandma in a wheelchair getting thrown out out a window, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That really bothered me. But, you know, Curse of Michael Myers was a flop. And once again, I guess they decided to get back to the basics with... Uh, the Dimension Films Harvey and Bob Weinstein release. Which I was watching the making of for this movie, and they mentioned Bob and Harvey a lot in it. And it's like, oof. Well, you know, it was fun watching the credits for this and realizing this is the rest of my life from now on, putting on a movie and then seeing Harvey Weinstein's name in the credits and being like, oh yeah. (laughs) Oh God. So Halloween H2O, 
Back to the basics Halloween, again. H2O, colon, 20 years later. <laughs> Just in case you didn't get it. Um, I was very confused as a child. I'm like, what? Is Hydro Man in this movie? Is t- Michael Myers made of water? Yeah, like? <laughs> it's such a stupid title. Uh, it's directed by Steve Miner, director of Soul Man. <laughs> uh, also the director of such classics as Friday the 13th Part 2 nice. and Friday the 13th Part 3 and the remake of Day of the Dead that came out in 2008. Oh, shit. <laughs> that film is a giant piece of shit. Uh, Steve Miner is a guy that will always remember people describing him in that Crystal Lake Memories book as a guy who didn't want to direct movies and got pushed into it by Sean Cunningham. He you know, didn't know what he was doing, and he just ended up continuing on with it. Wow, that's incredible when you think of all the people who want to be directors yep. and all the great directors who can't get work. Yep. You know, you imagine, you think of Terry Gilliam struggling to make Don Quixote. <laughs> yeah, but this guy is like, yeah, you know, whatever. Put the camera there. Put the camera there. Oh, look, I put a Fangoria cover yeah. uh, for the fans. So Halloween H2O is an 86-minute movie that returns to Laurie Strode, once again played by Jamie Lee Curtis, 20 years after the events of the first two films, she's resettled in California under an assumed identity. We should point out that this film, just like the Godzilla Millennium series, ignores all the films that came before it, except yes. for the second one. Yeah, uh, because in this film, uh, Michael Myers is her brother. Yes. So so the second one is canon. But she has a different identity. She has a 17-year-old son played by the man who teen magazines at the time called Josh Hotnet. <laughs> Did you do research for that one? No, I just remember that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. You don't forget a thing like that. But yes, Josh Hartnett. You're like, I'll never be this man. <laughs> Tape his photo up and you're like working out in the mirror and stuff like that. Honestly, I think I have a bigger audience than Josh Hartnett <laughs> does now. I mean, you have his same shaggy hair these days. Yeah, like... well, in Halloween H2O, he has the same haircut that Jim Carrey has in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Um, but you know, every year around Halloween, Laurie Strode post-traumatic stress disorder comes back and she is worried that Michael Myers is going to come back and get her once and for all. And this year, her fears are not unfounded because, uh, Michael Myers broke out of the hospital, killed the last remaining, uh, associate of Dr. Sam Loomis. Donna Pleasance by this time had passed away shuffled off this mortal coil can we just talk about how crazy donald pleasance's performance is in these movies like he is off the chain i I love him yeah (laughs) like do you think the director ever went like bigger bigger i well i think it's good to have him because you know jamie lee curtis is a a grounding force in Mm -hmm. these films she's a very likable relatable person so it's so he's the opposite extreme and we should also point out that h2o was supposed to be directed by john carpenter and that he was involved very close to shooting and then he went i want 10 million dollars to direct this (laughs) because i want my money that i didn't get from the revenues mm. of Halloween. Because the producer who like show ran the franchise, Mustafa Akkad, supposedly had not paid out the money that he owed Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me not say supposedly. He did not. Just come on. Like, yeah. they're big money producers. The directors get shit. And also, Carpenter was kind of in decline at this point. So, so. $10 million? He's $10 like, million dollars to direct like his most uh, a sequel to his most beloved film? Sure, you know? <laughs> but no... Uh, Carpenter's like, fine, I'll go make Vampires and Ghost of Mars. <laughs> Vampires is uh, a movie that I like better than this. <laughs> but, you know, th- so this movie's 86 minutes long and not a lot happens in it. You know, for, for it being the big reunion of Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers, the the big 20 years later confrontation, I think there ought to be 
another act. The film is fine. It's just a bunch of Michael Myers chasing after people. And that a day after watching it, you'll go, wait, did that happen in it? Yeah. Like, you won't remember. I was relieved that it was 86 minutes long. I was relieved <laughs> that it was unchallenging. It was a pleasant movie to watch. There were nice John Carpenter-ish Steadicam shots. But, like... It's a very flavorless film. Mm -hmm. It's not very scary. It's not very exciting. What it does have is Jamie Lee Curtis, mm -hmm. and that's not nothing. Uh, she's, you know, a, a very likable performer, and she brings in this movie a certain amount of baggage uh, and a certain amount of gravitas that the movie doesn't deserve. Like, I'm thinking there's one part of the movie that I actually found myself getting a little bit emotional at. Really? <laughs> it's when Josh Hartnett and his girlfriend, played by a young Michelle Williams, are about to drive off to the hospital. And she gets out of the car and says, go, go without me. And then she closes the gate and then she turns around with her axe to, like, go finally confront Michael Myers. And I'm watching this thinking, yeah, 20 years later, you know, she's back and now she's going to finish it. And I felt kind of moved by that. <laughs> Which is interesting considering she came back the next movie and she's in the new one that's going to come out next year. Okay, well, well, we'll get to that. Uh, so H2O was also a product of post-Scream 90s slasher boom mm. to the point that the original score by John Ottman was actually taken out and filled at points by the score from Scream. Like, mm. just stole pieces from it and put it in there. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's a much more orchestral, lush mm -hmm. version of the score. I quite liked the score in this movie. To the point that I think the um, composer of this film is, like, Buzz something. Mm. Like, he took a pseudonym on it, so he didn't have to take his own name. Well... Like Scream, the movie is also full of young, up-and-coming actors, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt is also in it. Uh, with his gang that look like the hockey players from Dogma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but unlike Scream, it's not really, like... Subversive? Yeah, or postmodern. It's not very winky. Mm -hmm. It always kind of feels like it's on the verge of being winky, like Janet Lee. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's mother makes a cameo in the movie and I kept waiting for her to say something like huh I prefer baths to showers <laughs> wink you know some, something like that but it doesn't do that nope it just gives it to you it's like eating your vegetables yeah but but the movie is just kind of like the movie isn't even vegetables the movie's just kind of like a wafer it's it's goes down painlessly has not a lot of flavor but they were able to turn things around with their next movie, Halloween Resurrection, where they brought back the heavy header, Rick Rosenthal of Halloween 2, <laughs> to make this movie. I want to know how that happened. It's incredible. Like, yeah. like, he wasn't really directing big movies at this point. And, and also, Halloween Resurrection is not a movie that has a great amount of respect for the franchise. It's not a movie that... like It's it, like a fuck you movie. It's a cash grab. Yeah. yeah. It... Starts with Jamie Lee Curtis being brutally murdered. Yeah. <laughs> even though her face is all over the poster and all over the trailers. That's clearly just an example of like, uh, what can we do to get you in this movie? And she said, okay, give me $2 million and let me not have a lot of lines. And Jamie Lee Curtis, when she made uh, Halloween H2O, as a teenager, she had made a conscious decision that like, I don't want to do horror movies anymore. Mm -hmm. And because she had got back to it, that opens the floodgates of people being like, well, when are you going to be in the next one? What are you going to do next? Yeah. So she's like, just kill me on screen yeah. so I'm dead and I can never come back. And for a Halloween movie, they decided to go a little bit more modern, um, <laughs> doing like a reality show house with cameras in it. It's, it, take, it has two satiric targets. 
reality shows and the internet. And it also has Busta Rhymes breaking out some martial arts against Michael Myers. Uh, yeah, Busta Rhymes and Tyra Banks star as the, I guess, impresarios who are putting on this internet reality show where they get, where it's like the real world in Michael Myers' house. They get a group of, uh, you know, six or seven teens uh, to spend a night in a haunted house, which is the house that Michael Myers grew up in, which is dilapidated and it's going to get torn down. And they all get outfitted with cameras. And we a lot of this movie is seen from the point of view of those shitty digital cameras. I think this movie is so much fun. It's oh, no. so dumb. No. <laughs> it has a homage to fucking peeping Tom in it. <laughs> Where it's like the balls on Rosenthal to be like, listen, I'm making fucking Halloween Resurrection. Uh, you know what? I'll just make a Peeping Tom reference. I wish I found this movie fun because it's it's stupid. It's and, so stupid. And like, there are like Thomas Edison movies that feel less dated than this. <laughs> uh, it's that perfect time capsule feeling where I'm oh like, yeah. what were they thinking? I just find it so disconcerting to see stuff from like 2002, you know, a, a year that I have a living memory of look this dated, like all the frosted tips. And, you know, <laughs> that's what it was. Just Will. That, that sheen, that kind of like ballistic X versus sever sheen. <laughs> <laughs> the blue. Deep you know? cut. Yeah. What are we going to do the Patreon episode on that? Oh, we should. Why not? <laughs> I would never recommend Halloween Resurrection because it's not a good Halloween movie. It's not a good horror movie. The, I couldn't tell any of these characters apart. No, I couldn't. Yeah. But unlike a movie that I watched recently, American Werewolf in Paris, <laughs> which was like nails being driven under my eyes. Yeah. This one, at least it has Buster Rhymes being kicked through like a wall. Yeah, he's the Sam Loomis of this film. Yeah. Uh, What's also funny is, like, we see people watching the web. First of all, how does the web stream work? Because, like, nobody would watch this. Like, you put cameras on people going to Michael Myers' house, and they say that Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks set up booby traps and stuff to make it interesting. But it's not like any of this footage is shaped in any way that would actually make it interesting. It's 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 like the movie Time Code with, like, six little boxes yeah. in squares with just random footage. Nobody would watch this. But we do see a room full of people at a Halloween party watching it. Teens. And they just watch all of this grisly murder take place. <laughs> and then at the end, when Michael Myers is defeated, they're all happy. <laughs> Maybe it's that line that the internet is breaking where we're desensitized to all this violence. Oh yeah, it's like a Michael Haneke film. It's yeah. like it's like it's like implicating you, the viewer. It's like yeah. cachet. You're yeah. like, it's I like, am Michael Myers. It's like it's like funny games. It's like, is this what you want? Is this what you want? <laughs> all right. Aren't you worse than Michael Myers? Born Cinema Club, double bill in the theater, funny games, Halloween resurrection. Oh yeah. <laughs> Together at last. Oh, what a grueling double bill that would be. So this is the movie that put the nail in the coffin of the Halloween franchise. But Michael Myers is never dead. Not really, because our man, Rob Zombie, oh, yeah. came back for Halloween the remake. How did you feel when this was announced? I'm sure you were completely uncaring. Yes, I was very blasé towards it. I had seen both of his f films before this. Yep. Didn't think much of them, mm -hmm. you know. I went to see this one in a theater uh, because, and the reason I went to see it is because I uh, got my license to let me drive a car by myself and I wanted to drive to the theater. <laughs> what was playing? Halloween. Yeah. So I saw it. Didn't like it. Saw it again. Just now for this podcast. Didn't like it. Rob Zombie's Halloween 
serves as a perfect example of how not to do a remake, mm-hmm. especially when Michael Myers is a figure that is no one. That's why he's scary. He decides to spend an hour telling you his backstory as a child, which is like, why? And it turns out his backstory is not very interesting. <laughs> nope. Just a little blonde kid, a little misfit kid who had two abusive parents uh, and uh, was bullied at school because in Rob Zombie's universe, the world is a hellhole. Just, right. just a just a big big old scab, you know, that that needs to be picked at constantly. And uh because of these influences, the kid just starts killing people, goes to the hospital to be treated by Dr. Sam Loomis, played this time by a very valuable Malcolm McDowell. Now I'll talk about Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's version, a little bit later. Yeah. But Malcolm McDowell gives such an unhinged performance yeah. in this movie. And thank God, honestly. <laughs> because the rest of this movie is so ugly and so hateful that I'm just glad we have Malcolm McDowell in there. It's the kind of film that, like, the director's cut has... Doesn't Michael Myers witness a rape scene or something like that in yeah, the cell? Well, yeah, there's a scene where the, the, two, the two people who work... Like the two janitors are raping the the female patients, and they they bring one of them, <sighs> and yeah, and like I don't I don't like to see that, but also like Michael Myers kills them mm-hmm. in a heroic way, you know, and it's like wait. Loomis just said he's pure evil. Now he's got a moral code. That doesn't was, make sense. That was done in a reshoot to like make him more sympathetic. I guess it's, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> this is a movie that like after that hour, it becomes an almost beat for beat remake of John Carpenter's version. Yeah. Why? I don't understand. Well, you know, you see a movie like this that has all this extrapolation. And I, I mean, it's like a beat for beat remake of the Carpenter version, but it's it's not in that elegant Hitchcockian John Carpenter style. It's in that ugly handheld, you know, rubbing your face in the muck Rob Zombie style, which I, I hate. And like part of me when looking at a movie like this almost wants to say, well, at least he did his version of it. You know, at least he didn't just just slavishly remake the first one like the Halloween two, the the Rick Rosenthal film did. But to what end? Like, yep. it sucks. <laughs> I love to hear Rob Zombie talk about movies. He is a cinephile. Yeah. In a way that, like, few filmmakers are right now that are working on the canvas that he was at that time. But it's the thing that he likes about those movies, like exploitation films and horror pictures, are not the things that I like about mm-hmm. them. Like, remember when there was a time that he said he was going to remake The Blob, but he wasn't going to have that, like, dumb purple thing in it? And it's like, what is the movie yeah. about? <laughs> like a fat guy in a trailer park called The Blob? Yeah. Like, yeah. I always feel that, like, Rob Zombie is trying to legitimize the things that he likes in his movies mm. by making them as miserable as possible. And that just makes them good goofy in a different way that's not fun to watch yeah i'm intrigued by the fact that he wants to make a movie about groucho marx Mm. and groucho marx's final years he was gonna make a film about um that hockey team i can't remember which one it is that were famous for being extra violent on the ice that would have been interesting yeah on the same note i really like halloween too and I'll tell you why. It's Rob pure, Zombie's the, Halloween. It's the purer vision? Yes. Yeah. So what ended up happening with Halloween 2 was that Halloween 1 did really well, even though it was famously pirated and leaked a work print version of it. <laughs> Dimensions went to all the hot directors. It was going to be directed by the guys who did Inside. It was going to be directed by the guys who wrote the Saw movies and would later go on to make the great The Collector and The Collection. But what ended up happening is all these people fell apart until Dimension had set a release date and they went, Shit. Okay, Rob, it's yours. 
you can do whatever you want with it. And the theatrical cut is butchered. According, I haven't seen it, but that's what everybody I hear. And the actual director's cut is insane. It's shot on Super 16 by Brandon Trost, who did like a bunch of good looking like comedies and other films later on. And it's such a nightmare watching it huh. in a way that, you know, like what you were talking about, like the it's in your face kind of thing. I don't really like that, but I like Halloween too because it's so almost abstract in what's going on. Like Michael Myers is basically just wandering around killing people. There's not much of a plot beyond the fact that the girl that survived the first one is a terrible, horrible person now. Yeah. And the movie is almost about, even though she survived, like she shouldn't be this terrible to the people around her. And like the film, I feel doesn't even feel sympathy for her. It's like, why are you doing this? You know what? Color me intrigued because I saw this movie in a theater. Mm -hmm. Hated it. Yeah. Hated Rob Zombie. So did I when I saw it in the theater. I said, ugh, I hate this movie. Stupid, dumb, like, horse dream at the end and everything like that. Awful. But just a few years ago and just recently for this podcast, I watched it again and I was like... I don't know what it is. There's just something there. Even though there's a scene where like a guy crashes into a cow and is like, fuck, 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 fuck. Well, I like that in this movie, Sam Loomis is now like a vain, like guy who wants to get on talk shows. (laughs) With Chris Hardwick in Weird Al. Yeah. And there's a scene where he he calls Weird Al Mr. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said that Malcolm McDowell was unhinged in the first one, like. Yeah. He could not be crazy. Like, he is giving a performance that's beamed from outer space. You know what? Now I kind of want to say it again just to see him again. <laughs> Here's yeah. what I'm going to say. You're not going to like it, Will. So don't wait. Your... It's 118 minutes. Oh, like, you don't okay. want to watch that. Yeah. Well, all right. But the Halloween series is not dead yet. Um, out of nowhere, it was announced that the man who gave us such films as The Pineapple Express and um, The Babysitter. And George Washington, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody has their tastes. Uh, Our brand is crisis. David Gordon Green was teaming up with uh, Danny McBride and they were going to write a new Halloween movie that David Gordon Green was going to direct. I really like David Gordon Green. I think he's a guy that He started, like, doing the art house, you know, like you mentioned, George Washington, all the real girls, and then, like, transitioned into, like, bro-y frat comedy, but all from, like, a weird slant. Like, he did an 80s fantasy movie that Mm. wasn't very funny, like Your Highness. Your Highness, yeah. But there was something kind of, you know, when I watched the movie, I go, you know, that's amusing. I'm glad you did that, but I don't really like it. Okay. You know, he's made good movies. He's made bad movies. I don't really care about him. But um, I'm I'm glad that this movie is bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis. Because, what else is she going to do, though? Well, you know, what? we almost never get a chance to see her anymore. That's so I'm true. just happy to, to have her back. And I hope that Halloween H2O is canon because I like the idea of this being like before sunrise, where every 20 years we see Laurie Strode again. And Josh Hartnett. If he comes back, that'd be great too. <laughs> but I don't think he'll come. I think he'll be like Mott, you know, from Indiana Jones. I think no. he's going to get written out of the next one. They actually <laughs> said that this is supposedly like a direct sequel to Halloween 2. So uh, they ignore H2O. Yeah. That's something that all the fans really want, which is like the continuity from film to film. But the continuity is so crazy and pointlessly convoluted with insane dead ends that never went anywhere. Well, you know what the problem is? It. 
if they ignore Halloween H2O, they're just going to end up remaking it. That's what, I, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Where it's her facing her fears of Michael Myers. Yeah. So on and so forth. And like, nobody wants yeah. that. But maybe it'll be better. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe she'll like team up with Michael Myers. It'll be like serial mom with Michael yeah. Myers and Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. But um, yeah, the Halloween series, that's what it is. Yeah. I, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's weird, right? Because like we've talked about seven movies, but what are the big ideas at play here? What what are the what's the real meat that we can grasp onto? I don't know if there is any. No, it's just the idea of an unknown external force that's going to kill you. Like that's it. It's scary. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Here's the big idea that I'd like to grasp onto. Boom. Who, who do you like better, Michael Myers or Jason? Hmm. Jason. Me too. And why is that? I think the idea of Jason as an unkillable monstrous force moving forward is fun because the films have continually physically shown the viewer that you see Jason get beaten down, get back up. He seems to take joy in killing. Yeah. yeah. Michael Myers, not really like he's doing it mechanically because he has to. Yeah. Well, Jason has also gone to New York. He's (laughs) fought a psychic. He's gone to hell in space. He's just a more interesting guy. He has more hobbies. Michael Myers is iconic in a sense that, like, he kills with that, like, kitchen knife and stuff like that. Mm. Like, we keep saying there's something scary about that, but, like, I don't want another... If someone said, you get a Michael Myers movie or a Jason movie, I'd be like, I want to make a Jason movie. Yeah. Because if I, like, put Michael Myers in space, people would be like, boo, get back to the basics. And it's like, well, I don't want to make those... You have, like, nine of those (laughs) movies. You don't need any more of them. Uh, I also like the hockey mask more than I like the William Shatner mask. Yeah, that's right. Even though they changed it as it went on because, like, they, like, lost the rights to it and stuff like that. I think that maybe is one reason why I like the hockey mask more. And also the hockey mask, because doesn't have a face on it it's, it has even less expression and you know what's difficult to draw michael myers's mask you know what's not difficult to draw jason true that's a tip for all you kids out there <laughs> yeah that's right if you're under 10 you should watch these movies but don't tell your parents mm. and don't say the important cinema club sent you so if people want to write us a letter questions comments email us at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com and rate and review us on itunes dude oh yeah sure that's been a while well hey what's on the patreon this week this week we did two episodes because we missed a week we did that's how you know we talked about not doing two episodes and just skipping a week but then we said no people are putting their hard-earned money in there so we gotta do two so we did hg lewis the godfather of gore himself we watched blood feast and then we did an extended version of our shock horror thon whatever we ended up calling it where me and will each recommended three more movies so check that out five dollars a month search important cinema club podcast on patreon what are we doing next week will I guess Shocktober is this Shocktober? It's, it still is. It's stretching into November, but it's part of Shocktober, and it's Roberta Findlay, one of the few uh, female directors of exploitation movies of the seventies. And when we say exploitation movies, we mean like hardcore pornography at times. Yes, very That's grimy. Where she originally got started, and she kind of transitioned into horror pictures, which she has publicly said she had nothing but disdain for, but. Thankfully, she was a really good director who just happened to find herself in a scuzzy line of the industry. Mm. So we're going to be watching um, a bunch of her movies, I bet. A Woman's Torment, which is her version of Repulsion. Uh, Primeval. I'll probably look at Tenement, Mm -hmm. you know. Which is her siege film. I probably won't watch Snuff. 
No, yeah, boring, we don't need right? to watch enough. Yeah. That's boring. Yeah. But we'll talk about it next week. So don't forget to tune in then. My name is Justin the Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Stay scared. Ooh. <laughs> it was a day of celebration in the Important Cinema Club headquarters because finally. <laughs> The Foreigner was released. One of our most anticipated movies of the year. And if you don't know what that is, that is the Martin Campbell of GoldenEye and Green Lantern fame directing Jackie Chan and Mr. Pierce Brosnan. This would have been a big birthday party item when I was (laughs) nine years old. Would you have gotten it when you were nine years old? No, but the prospect of Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan together in like 1998, that would have been a hot ticket. And the most shocking thing about this motion picture is that it was released in theaters. I thought for sure it was going to go VOD, but it got a big push. And the other shocking thing about it is I liked it. Yep, me too. Yeah, it was fun. (laughs) I mean, this is the movie that will message me on the Friday going, Justin, I can't wait two more days. I need to see it. (laughs) And as we were walking up to the theater, he was like, I just want to like this. I want to like it. And you know what? I wanted to like it too. I like old man, dramatic Jackie Chan, last seen in The Karate Kid. Yeah. Not seen in New Police Story, where he gives a terrible dramatic performance. And Mark Campbell, from all the interviews, seemed very respectful of Jackie's work. Uh, I saw somebody on Twitter today actually say that it was a quintessential Roger Ebert three-star movie. <laughs> and I think he's right. Mm, yeah, wait, Roger Ebert rated on a four-star review. That's right? right. I'd give it three stars on that scale as well. Yeah, um, it, it's it has, I would say, three really solid action scenes. That are short, but give you just enough that you're like, I'm satisfied. They have some good stunts in them. Mm-hmm. They, they feel like they have some weight. Um, Jackie Chan's performance is very stripped down and effective. He's best in American movies when he doesn't have to speak a lot. Mm-hmm. And he, he, this is the first movie I've seen him in where he really acted his age. And they went to great lengths to actually make him look older than he mm-hmm. actually is, graying his hair, um, making sure the wrinkles on his face popped. Mm-hmm. And then you have Pierce Brosnan. And as Will said, this is the feast of ham for Brosnan <laughs> fans. So to, so to get these two performers together doing very different performances i think they worked well together Mm -hmm. because like brosnan is just like the scenery (laughs) like throwing that irish accent that it is it his accent because it doesn't sound like it well normally we're used to him affecting a british accent so this may actually be his accent Mm -hmm. but he definitely talks like this very loud a lot of the time (laughs) and he has like a he's an old man running circles around all of us (laughs) and he has like you know like a kind of old man beard he's a little like like a little paunchy. paunchy. He was paunchy in the James Bond movies too. Do you remember in Die Another Day when he's been in uh, a Korean prison camp for 16 months and then he comes out and he's just like fat? <laughs> <laughs> After being tortured and like deprived of food, he wanders through that hotel lobby. Which, you know, Pierce Brosnan is like the last of an era of like guys who could be like shirtless in movies and be heartthrobs, but they just had ordinary bodies. Yeah, they could. They weren't like cut. Yeah, and he was like hairy too. Like <laughs> he was the everyman. Bond. Yeah, yeah. The way that Roger Moore was like way too old to oh, play yeah. James Bond. Yeah, but like for Pierce Brosnan was like people's sexiest man alive in like 2001. <laughs> what yeah. a time to be alive. Yeah. But in this movie, he plays a ex IRA, I guess, <laughs> captain yeah. who's in charge of, I wasn't quite sure what organization in the government he's working. He, he works at a, a legitimate government job, but then a group calling themselves the new IRA. This is based on a book that came out in 1992 and they decided to do no rewrites for it. Well, the rewrite they did was 
wait, what's this? The IRA are acting up again? Uh, I thought we'd settled IRA. this. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so that's all. And so it doesn't make a, you know, you have to take a bit of a leap. And I don't know a lot about Irish politics. But I, this film seems to want to dive deep into it. It seems problematic. But I got to say, all the political intrigue, I was with it. Yeah, there's enough twists and turns that it wasn't confusing enough. I've seen a lot of reviews point out that the focus kind of gets away from Jackie Chan too much for them, but... I don't know. I was fine with it. Like, he's like the shark from Jaws. Yeah. I was never like, uh, where's Jackie Chan? Make him come back. Like, when yeah. he showed up, I was happy that he did. And at one point, they insinuate that he did something that the audience would never forgive him for <laughs> before they just turn it back instantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, Pierce Brosnan is in a lot of those scenes, and he's fun. <laughs> and we get Jackie Chan not only fighting and using props and stuff like that, but also a MacGyver-like bomb maker. Oh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> and there's nothing more fun than seeing a guy like Jackie, like, building bombs out of soda and, I guess, like, candy. So, uh, good film. It comes dangerously close to endorsing torture. Oof, but, uh, yes, it does. But, you know, it's whatever. It's a fun airport paperback of a movie. It, I mean, it was based on an airport paperback, um, mm. poorly called The China Man. Yeah. <laughs> so we also had a chance to experience a podcast that me and Will like to listen to live on stage. The Flophouse. Yeah, yeah. You know, The Flophouse was a podcast that I started listening to in, I think, 2009. You liked them before they were cool. Yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, back then it kind of felt like I was the only one listening. Mm -hmm. Somebody had recommended it to me, said, oh, one of the writers from The Daily Show has done it. And, and you're I, like, I love The Daily Show I, with Jon Stewart. Exactly. The only true, 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 true teller on television. <laughs> Almost my exact words at the time. Um, and what I always liked about that podcast, The Flophouse, was that unlike How Did This Get Made, which has a very kind of like morning radio DJ quality to it, like... <laughs> Like, it's like, whoa, how did this get made? Battlefield Earth. It's so bad. <laughs> yes. But the Flophouse has this kind of, like, uh, tired quality to it. You, like, it's <laughs> it, like, like the guy, they're very smart. And they're very funny. But like, like, they're not, they're not feigning enthusiasm where there isn't any. And, and, they're, had, and they're real friends. You had seen them on stage before in New York, where a friend of ours, by your recommendation, had put into their hands a copy of No Deposit, the Frank D'Angelo film, which became a kind of holy relic on the show later on. Well, I am, I am technically responsible yes, for that. Yes, you because are. Because I gave Peter that copy and he gave it to them. And now Frank D'Angelo, of course, is famous in America. And I... <laughs> <laughs> that is not true for anybody wondering and doing research online. But I was like, I had never gotten a chance to see them on stage before. And there's something so sobering about people that you listen to, yeah. like live in front of you, where someone like Dan, who is the depressed, kind of sad person on the podcast, when you see him live on stage, looks sad and depressed yeah. and maybe a little bit drunk. <laughs> It, 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 it was kind of like, well, I guess this is real life. Well, imagine what it was like for me and Peter when we had dinner with them the night before. How was that? Were they their personalities? Was the uh, Stuart a party dude? Uh, he, he was very... We did it. At, we had dinner at the Forget About It Supper Club. <laughs> Owned by Frank D'Angelo. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, 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 they are as, as advertised. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're not putting on yeah. characters yeah. on the yeah. show. Elliot like we do. There, but yeah. And voices. Yeah, we're very much different in real life. But hey, listen, we went to another movie this week. We did. Um, it was a movie called Impossible Horror by Justin DeClue. A film I directed, played in a film festival. At the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. And, you know, you were worried that you wouldn't be able to sell out a 500-seat theater. <laughs> yep, but I, we sold out a 500-seat theater. <laughs> I, I walked in and I was so, like, impressed. And this is, I guess, what happens when, A... 
you know a lot of people and b your cast and crew know a lot of people and, <laughs> That's right. and c you're at a film festival that has a built-in constituency yeah people keep uh, kept saying like congratulations you sold the theater out and i'm like but i didn't I didn't really sell it out myself. Like people, yeah. I, I don't have a brand that people went, man, that Justin the Clue, I'm going to check that out. Well, just... I will say that when Peter introduced you was saying, you you know him as the co-host of the Important Cinema Club. <laughs> I like to point out that someone was sitting beside Matthew Kumar when he said that and Matthew Kumar shook his head across his arms, <laughs> co-host of the Loose Cannons podcast. Really, I, I chuckled and I and I like uh, nudged uh, my date and said, hey, how about that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and so what's your review of the movie, Will? I really enjoyed it. I, I, I'm not just saying that because you're here. Like everyone um, is, yeah, I think when they see their friend's art. Uh, Are nervous. Steals themselves up for the moment when they're going to have to say, ah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. So for about 20 minutes of the movie, I'm sitting there being like, please don't be embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and I'm watching it. See, the scene is pretty good so far. Yeah. And, and you know, the first third of the movie doesn't have a lot of dialogue in it. And so I was watching it, kind of being like, you know, he's doing kind of a pretty impressive job, like sustaining this tone and mm-hmm. you know making the editing work. And then I liked the rest of it too. Because <laughs> for people who uh, haven't seen the film, which is everybody listening, <laughs> it goes bananas. It's it's like a virtual dictionary of horror film history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, very enjoyable. So if you're a distributor and you like to buy my movie, contact me. Yeah. I take millions of dollars mm-hmm. and uh after that screening which went really well i came back home and uh did more work to the movie <laughs> while it may have premiered um uh, i'm like i oh, know i can make some parts better much to will's horror when i told them that it was his scene that it was re-editing i'm still in the movie though don't worry oh yeah don't worry yeah uh his character appears throughout the movie even though that sometimes he's not played by will but the yeah. audiences don't know that 